Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 258, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Dorino Burns. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the welterweight title on the line. Kamara Usman is looking to break GSP's record for the most consecutive wins in welterweight history. He's currently tied with GSP at 12. He beats Burns. He goes to a 13. That's an all-time record. And for Gilbert Durinho, looking to dethrone the undefeated in the UFC, Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman, in my opinion, has been on, on quite the dominant streak since he's gotten into the UFC. And over some legit guys, we're talking Leon Edwards, Tyrone Woodley, Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal. His resume speaks for itself. Gilbert Burns, former 155er. We've always known that he's got the talent. To He's a serious black belt. He's got big power in his hands. And since he's moved up to 170, the performances have been translating. Now we're finally getting to see the real Dorino, the best version of Dorino. And he's going out here, and he – I don't know if he's lost around yet. I think uh, maybe Gunnar Nelson had one on the scorecards. I don't know why, but <laughs> Gilbert Burns has been doing this thing at 170. I've been very impressed. Yeah, no doubt about it. And what's interesting is that when you're talking about some of the greatest of all time, they don't feel the need to tell you that they're the greatest of all time. Like Kamaru, I understand that to some people, he might not have the most exciting fighting style, which, I mean, you go watch that fight with Colby Covington, one of the most badass fights I've ever seen. But Kamaru actually is one of the greatest welterweight champions of all time, just like GSP was, just like Matt Hughes was. And the thing is, these guys like GSP, these guys like Kamaru, these guys like Matt Hughes, they don't have to tell you how great they are. And then you have this champion, Tyron Woodley. He goes to the press conference, and every single question he answers with, I'm the greatest welterweight of all time. I'm the greatest welterweight of all time. It's like Tyron, Jonah Hill, cut, cut, cut. Kamaru doesn't have to talk like that. Kamaru doesn't have to say it. The performances speak for themselves, Shaq. 100%. The Kobe Covington fight was one of the best fights I've seen live. That was a back-and-forth war, bloodbath, two guys in the middle, no takedowns at all because we knew the, the wrestling pedigrees of both. But that fight was amazing. I've been a fan before that and since then. He goes about his business. I know he does like to talk in the occasional third person a lot, but, but we, we can't all be perfect. I mean, I, I, I like I like Usman, man. I think he gets a bad rap. Yeah, and if you actually look at the numbers he's been putting up, uh, we haven't seen numbers like that in a long time, and we're going to talk about that when we get to our main event breakdown. But as you know, Shaq, uh, before we break down this whole car start to finish, we got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Manscaped, the official electric trimmer of the UFC Manscaped. Not only are they presenting, uh, are they the presenting sponsor of this podcast, Half the Battle, but they also sponsor multiple UFC stars, including Max Holloway, Francis Ngannou, the future heavyweight champion, by the way, and Sugar Sean O'Malley. Manscaped is here to ensure your favorite fighter doesn't miss weight because of their pubes. I mean, I haven't seen Kevin Holland miss weight anytime soon, Shaq, and... Uh, the reason I like Manscaped so much is, you know, similar to Kevin Holland, like we mentioned, this will make sure you're ready for any kind of short notice opportunities. There's no kind of excuses anymore when, when you're dealing with Manscaped. They completely changed the game. And uh, their perfect package 3.0 includes the Lawnmower 3.0, which is what I'm holding right here. And 
This uh, ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs to your fellows down below. Uh, probably the smoothest shave I've ever had in my life. And for all our international listeners out there, they just launched their life-changing products in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and even the EU. It's time to hop on the Manscaped movement. And inside the Perfect Package 3.0, you'll also get the Crop Reserver deodorant for below the belt. It's anti-chafing and moisturizing. You'll get the Crop Reviver toner, which is aloe vera-infused cologne for below the belt. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at Manscaped.com. That's all caps, BATTLE20. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at Manscaped.com. Uh, your balls will thank you, Shaq. 100%. Manscaped has the best products, hands down. Uh, it's not even close. They Everything comes up in tip-top shape. There's nothing better than getting that light in the shower to get that shaving. Like you said, no nicks, man. No nicks is important. So, you know, I'm with Manscaped. It's massively important. My boy K did said, tell me how to maintain my balls. All you got to do is go to manscaped.com. Use that code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. And your balls will be in good hands, my friend. Now, Shaq, let's break down this whole car start to finish. Because first up in the flyweight division, we got Jillian Robertson. She's 9-5. and five. She's taking on Miranda Maverick, who's 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Miranda Maverick minus 135. The comeback on Julian Robertson is plus 115. I know Shaq remembers what the former champion, the former lightweight champion, and the former Bellator lightweight champion, uh, Eddie Alvarez, always said about Julian. He said, if she cannot get her first round submission, she's most likely not going to win the fight. And I know she beat Courtney Casey, who, if you look at the numbers, has some of the worst takedown defense in the history of the division. But Miranda Maverick seems like a promising prospect. She's a very intelligent young lady as well. Uh, how do you see this one going down? It's a good, a good matchup. Miranda Maverick looked good in the debut against Joe Jua, but it, it was Joe Jua. Joe Jua, you know, not known for his striking per se. And Jillian, like Eddie said, it, it kind of seems how it, it tends to go in most of her fights. It, it seems like when there's a little bit of back and forth that she, she just shuts down. It seems like she has to be in control of this fight from start to finish. So, can she come out here and get the early takedown? And what is Miranda Maverick's jiu-jitsu game really like? Look, Pearl Gonzalez, I know, did briefly take that back and was on top of her for, uh, you know, a little in, in spots. Jillian Robertson, her last fight against Tyler Santos, she got exposed. The second there was some back and forth, I mean, what happened? She, she went in, she was selling out for submissions and... It wasn't a good look. So, yeah, I think Miranda Maverick is definitely the more well-rounded fighter in terms of the striking. Jillian Robertson is definitely one-dimensional. It's a one-trick thing. It's the grappling, and that's it. Pollyanna Botello, all those girls that she's been beating, Courtney Casey, we've seen in previous past fights before Jillian, we've seen them have troubles on the mat with Calvillo. Courtney Casey, I don't even have to read down the list of the people that have taken her down. So it, it's like – how much stock should I really be giving to Jillian for these wins? Um, look, there is some opportunities for her to get on top. Maverick, Maverick does throw the lead, the lead low kick, and and there and maybe Jillian can possibly catch one and, and get her down, and we'll see what happens. Uh, but for me personally, it's Maverick or pass. I'm not. I just don't. I'm not interested in, in Jillian with this one trick game plan that she has. She. Uh, the Macy Barber fight, in my opinion, the second things got tough there. She 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 went out uh, she went out 
Um, and you can't remember that. Uh, can't forget that Myra Bueno Silva fight back in in Brazil. That was also another stud. She has to be in in control from start to finish. But I'm yeah, going with Miranda. I'm going with Miranda Maverick by decision. Yeah, I agree, Shaq. I mean, listen, uh, Julian Robertson, she definitely has a dangerous ground game. It's just she's so one-dimensional. She hasn't improved these other areas of her game. And uh, with Miranda Maverick, she's very strong. And when I mentioned she's intelligent, you should hear her talk, man. Uh, I love uh, I love what I've been hearing from Miranda Maverick. Um, if you hear any of her interviews, very intelligent young lady. I think she's even, you know, doing her thesis or something like that. She's getting a degree she's like you know she's not fighting full time she's actually like studying to get a degree at the same time she's very very smart but as far as the fighting skills are concerned she's got the wrestling to keep this fight standing she's got a brown belt in jujitsu so it's not like she's you know inexperienced on the mat if it hits uh, that part of the game and she's got power on the feet too and i actually like that ufc debut i know she got kind of tagged up in the early going but when she found her range i mean that upward elbow that she busted up jojua with was a thing of beauty. So I uh, I like what I've seen from Miranda Maverick, and I'm picking her to win this fight. So we just lost Shaq. Uh, he'll, he'll be right back. But next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Gabe Green. He's 9-3, and three, and he's taking on Philip Rowe, who's 7-2. and two. Currently, they got Gabe Green minus 140. The comeback on Phil Rowe is plus 120. So I'm going to wait for Shaq to come back to uh, – to uh, break down that fight because I want to hear his take on it as well. But I'm curious what y'all think about it because, I mean, we got Phil Rowe, who's actually the tallest man in the welterweight division. He's six foot four. He's got the longest reach in the welterweight division, longer than Neil Magny's reach. Um, he's just a bit on the green side. Uh, no pun intended. I know that's his opponent's name. And with Gabe Green, he's got very, very good output. The guy goes forward the entire time. And uh, so real quick. My boy Kurt Flirt said about Miranda Maverick, she's extremely smart, going for a degree in like some kind of science. Yeah, I know. Like, I wish I knew exactly what it was. I knew a couple days ago, but uh, you know, I've processed a lot of information since then, so I forgot. But she is definitely very, very smart. But as far as uh, Green and Rowe are concerned, look, I think that output of Gabe Green is definitely something to respect. But I also kind of think he's undersized for 170 pounds. I also think he only got into the UFC because they needed a short notice to fill in. Um, to fight Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, I'm actually curious who Daniel Rodriguez's original opponent was um, in that spot. I'll tell you all in one second here. So Daniel Rodriguez was actually supposed to fight. Oh, shit. He was supposed to fight Kevin Holland. So it was supposed to be Daniel Rodriguez versus Kevin Holland. And then Gabe Green uh, filled in. And look, he made a good account of himself in terms of, like the volume landed. Like I said, he landed way over 100 strikes. But on the flip side, he also ate well over 100 strikes. So it's one of those things with Gabe Green that I do kind of think he's undersized for the weight class. And Shaq, like I was telling the fans, uh, Phil Rowe is actually the biggest man in the welterweight division. The tallest, has the longest reach. He's just kind of on the greener side. But it's interesting because you watch his contender series fight and that first round, it looked like, man, th this guy might not belong in the UFC. But then the second and third round, I was like, you know what? This guy might actually be like a top 30 guy. So I think he's got a lot of potential. I think with a year off, he's going to come back better. He's training with the right people, with Rodolfo Vieira and everyone down there with Julian Williams. Um, and I respect Gabe Green, but I, I think he's going to run into something, man. I think if if uh, Phil Rowe does the proper game plan, stay long, use those, use that nice jab, that TK. Because, I mean, people will bring up the Leon Shabazian fight, how, you know, Gabe Green 
knocked out Shabazi in three minutes, but Phil Rowe had to go through all the shit. Guys, don't forget, Gabe Green had to go through some shit, too. Uh, Gabe Green got dropped in the first round, was getting smashed by Leon Shabazi, and he lands one knee to the body, and Leon said no more. So Leon was winning the entire fight until he got caught. So don't don't let the records fool you. But that being said, I'm going Phil Rowe here, man. I think he stays long. If he's made improvements, I think he can win this fight with style points. So I'll go Phil Rowe. Yeah, so Gabe Green, very tough dude, like uh, a Mexican brawling style, moves forward, takes a lot of shots, big power. Look, you know, had a good showing against uh, D-Rod, but D-Rod doesn't have Now, I know Philip Rowe hasn't fought anybody, and, you know, his, his local scene opponents definitely weren't it. But the Brazilian fight was definitely a step in their direction in terms of his development. That was the best opponent he had faced. I know that was a while ago, so I'm expecting him, you know, with this training with Jacare Ray and Julian Williams and Rodolfo and all these guys that his ground game is going to be better. He's a brown belt, I believe. So it's going to be a very uh, high-level brown belt that he's training with these uh, guys. And Gabe Green has some suspect takedown defense, in my opinion. If you watch some of those local those local fights that he has, he gets taken down quite quite easily uh, by lightweights. Um when he, when he used to, he just came out to 170 recently, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know, didn't he uh, knock out Jalen? No, Jalen Turner knocked him out. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think Philip Rowe just has more physical weapons. Now, is he tape? Have we seen it? No, but I'm assuming that the dude's been training in all this time off. And one thing we can't forget about the Shabazians, the, the Shabaz, we know the Shabazians come heavy early. I mean, you know, you know the Shabazians are our first round, our first round guys. Uh, we know what happens when when the when they get tired, but you know the Shabazians early, man. They can they can compete with anybody. So there's no uh, no shame in getting dropped by, by uh, Leon, in my opinion. In that spot, he hadn't really fought anybody up until that point. So we know that there's going to be some you know little hairy moments, like I'm sure there's going to be in this fight. This fight's going to be a dog fight, but I think. That if Philip Rowe, you know, just keeps his activity up, sticks the jab out on Gay Green, who moves forward, is there to be hit, swears his stance up a lot, that he probably can, you know, break his nose, uh, uh, swell up a eye, uh, you know, something along those lines. So I'm going to go with Phil Rowe, too. I think he should be the slight favorite. Gay Green, we've had more of a sample size from him. We kind of, you know, I just don't see, I don't want to say much potential. I think he can be a, an exciting guy, but he's just a, a forward guy that's going to take punishment and, it's going to work out some nights, and it's not going to work out a lot of nights. So we'll see. And next up in the featherweight division, we got Ricky Simone making the quick turnaround. He's 17-3. He's taking on Brian Keller, who, who's 22-11. and 11. And currently they got Ricky Simone minus 245. The comeback on Brian Keller is plus 205. Shaq, I kind of view this as a case where Ricky Simone – you know, pushes the higher pace, and if this fight hits the scorecards, that Ricky Simone is most likely going to win. Uh, mixing up the cleaner boxing with some takedowns, it's just Brian Kelleher definitely brings that danger factor to the table. He's got a opportunistic guillotine. He's knocked guys out before. He's super experienced. I mean, when you're talking about a guy like Brian Kelleher, you're talking about someone who beat Julio Arce twice on the regionals and went to a decision with Jimmy Rivera on the regionals. So prior to his UFC run, he's already you know fought some serious competition. Uh, but in this spot, I think he's got to finish Ricky. Look, Ricky's been finished before. I mean, Ricky cost a lot of people a lot of money against Uriah Faber. Ricky got uh, knocked out and submitted by Anderson Dos Santos. So it can happen. Um, but I'm going to go with Ricky Simon, uh, Ricky Simone via unanimous decision here. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of Kelleher. He's a junkyard dog. But this is just a bad, bad matchup. I kind of see this going similar to the to the Stamen fight, and you know, just more. Maybe Ricky gets hit a little bit more, but in their wrestling, I just see Ricky being too strong, too physical. He is one of the better wrestlers in that division. His striking is getting better, and, and, and I actually have seen some improvements in the way that he's been taking shots since the Faber fight. He went three rounds with Rob Font in a fight of the night, and he took several, several blows and kept going. So I, I was impressed by Ricky in that fight. I thought that was a very good showing. I actually thought that fight was a lot closer than the scorecards indicated. Then he bounced back with uh, the Ray Borg fight. And Ricky, we know what his weakness is. Sometimes Ricky is a meathead and he wants to to take unnecessary punishment. But as long as he stays glued to Kelleher, clinch him, wrestle him, make him tired, I see him getting this job done. So, yeah, I'm going with you, Simon. Next up, we got an 140-pound catchway between Andre Uhl, he's 17-6, and six, and Chris Gutierrez is 15-3-2. Currently, they got Chris Gutierrez... Minus uh, 150, the comeback on Andre Uhl's plus 125. So, Shaq, I hear a lot of people saying that Chris Gutierrez is going to come out here and kick Andre Uhl's legs off, but I haven't heard a single person mention that Andre Uhl is the first southpaw that Gutierrez has fought inside the octagon. And as you know, for an orthodox fighter, it's a lot tougher to get off on those leg kicks against a southpaw opponent. Um, so, I mean, I, I see Gutierrez probably going to the body and the head more. That That being said... Andre's also got an eight-inch reach advantage in this spot. So who do you kind of give the edge to here? Gutierrez got off to a um, yeah, Gutierrez got off to a bad start his last fight against my boy Durden. Definitely won the last two rounds. Um, and we know what he brings to the table. He's not much of a boxer, but he's gonna look to set up the kicks, the low kicks, even even upstairs. He's got very good cardio. A decent game off his back, but, you know, his wrestling isn't the best. So, And on the flip side, it's kind of similar for Andre Uhl. So I'm sure both these guys like this fight. They don't have to stuff a take. They don't have to stuff takedowns for once. Uh, you know, Andre ain't shooting. So <laughs> this is going to be a good fight. Um, Gutierrez is solid. But, man, I, I do I, – I feel like Andre Uhl is – I thought he looked good his last fight against uh, Irwin. Um I felt like his cardio was a lot better. I felt like his pace was higher. And I felt like, yeah, I've, I've been uh, critical of his cardio and his ground game in the past. And I know Irvin, Irwin uh, Rivera is like only seven and five or eight and five, whatever it is. But, you know, I thought it was a good performance, an underrated performance from Andre, one of his better ones, at least better than the Jonathan Martinez performance and the uh, some of the other ones that he's had in the past. But, I mean, at the same time, they're respectable losses. Nathaniel Wood's pretty good. Cheeto Vera's pretty good. Um, who else did he lose to? Um, well, that's it in the UFC. Yeah, and that's it. So, um, in the John and Mar Martinez fight, definitely thought he lost that one, but Martinez is solid as well. I mean, Martinez is no slouch. So, um, those are good fighters. Uh, Chris Gutierrez is Martinez's teammate. Man, I, th I felt that Gutierrez kind of had a lackluster performance that last fight against Cody Durden. No offense to C Cody, but, you know, some I would think that uh, where's Gutierrez ranked at Bantamweight, a top, top 50, 60-ish? Uh, Gutierrez was uh, minus 300. That's all you got to say. Yeah, I mean, I I would assume that a top 50-ish Bantamweight should, should take out Durden in that spot. So that was kind of a letdown. Um, 
I feel like, well, I mean, he, he's solid. He beat Anderson Dos Santos, who's a tough Brazilian, uh, went three rounds, and, and he's got heart. I mean, yeah, his cardio's a little shaky in his ground game, but I don't think he's going to have to worry about that in this particular matchup. Gutierrez is more of a patient, sit back, set up the, the low kick type of guy, and I think he could snipe that left hand in there and, and just use his size and be the bigger and more physical guy. So, um, we'll see if Gutierrez wants to switch it up and come come with the wrestling, the jujitsu. He has sub uh, guys like Jimmy Flick in the past, uh, uh, some other guys. He does have submissions on his record. Beat Timor Valiev back in the day. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But I'll go with uh, Andre Ula. I think he's he's turning upwards. Yeah. Look, like I said, and, and let me also say that I bet Chris Gutierrez to beat Vince Morales. Like that to me was easy work. Uh, I said Vince Morales does not belong in the UFC, but this is different here with Andre Ull. And the southpaw stance just makes such a big difference because, like I said, if you're expecting for Gutierrez to just come out here and kick the legs off of Andre Ull, I get it. Andre Ull's got a wide stance. He's got skinny legs, but he's fighting an orthodox fighter. That means the kicks are going to come straight to the shin. I think Gutierrez is not going to get off on those leg kicks as much. Look, I could be way off. Maybe he goes to the outside leg. Maybe maybe he does that because he can kick hard with both legs. But just from experience, uh, southpaw fighters, excuse me, orthodox fighters don't feel as confident or as comfortable leg kicking against orthodox fighters or against southpaw fighters, excuse me. So uh, I think Andre Ull is going to use that eight-inch reach advantage. I think he's going to pop the jab. And I think it's going to be one of those fights where it goes to the judges' scorecards and Andre Ull kind of doubled him up on output. So it's about... Do the judges favor the output of Andre Ull or do they favor kind of the harder shots landed of Chris Gutierrez? So I could see it going either way. That makes it be that makes it a dogger pass situation in my book. So I'll take the dog. I'll take Andre Ull. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Pollyanna Vienna. She's 11 and four and Mallory Martin is seven and three. Currently, they got Mallory Martin minus 145. The comeback on Pollyanna Vienna is plus 125. So Shaq, uh, Mallory Martin, um, she's a very tough young lady. She got submitted in her UFC debut. Her second fight, I know officially she won, but she got knocked out, by the way, and then she recovered and won. I mean, she got dropped by Hannah Cyphers, ate a follow-up, went limp, ate another follow-up, woke back up, and then ends up winning the fight. So the young lady has a lot, a lot of heart. I got a lot of respect for her. With Vienna... She's a first-round finisher bust. You know, she's got two first-round finishes in the UFC. She finished Amanda Ribas on the regional scene also in the first round. Most of her wins are via first-round finish. We've seen Mallory Martin get off to these slow starts. So I kind of think that Pollyanna Vienna can get another first-round finish here. The only, the only worry is if this fight gets extended, like if it hits the scorecards, I, I would have to edge Mallory Martin. But I'm going to say Vienna comes out here and gets a first-round finish, Shaq. Yeah, man. I, uh, I got to... I don't want to say an interesting take on this one, but I think Vienna is gonna is underrated in this spot, and I think she's gonna be underrated moving forward. We can't forget the hype that this girl had when she came to the UFC, but I think that sometimes in the in the UFC, the promotion gets behind you at uh, just to an, to an extent where it's just not yet. You know, she was with uh, in her past relationship and. You know, she had that going on and, you know, they said that she was beating up, uh, beating up dudes on the street and all this shit. And me, I mean, I knew that it was false, but I mean, I knew that Tiago beat him up and then, you know, she gets, uh, gets all this, you know, attention from it, that attention that she's not ready for. 
and uh, the performances showed. Uh, she lost to J.J. Aldridge. She lost to um, Cyphers. Sahana Cyphers by split decision and uh, Veronica Macedo. Now, one thing I'll say, the Cyphers and J.J. Aldridge's uh, performances, look, those are growing pains. I think that she's a much better fighter than that. She didn't seem all there mentally in that fight to me. There were just periods of time where she uh, didn't seem mentally there. But I also think she needed to develop the stand-up skills. And from what I've been seeing, man, on her uh, Instagram, she's been striking a lot. And I've been seeing improvements. Even in the Macedo fight before the armbar happened, I just noticed a, a uptick in aggression. I mean, it was more of a moving forward. And then the Whitmire fight, which I actually uh, better in, she was the underdog there. It was, uh, I thought the, the the counters looked way sharper. And one thing I noticed about Mallory Martin, she, yeah, she might have a better overall game. And like you said, more for the cards, uh, late rounds and all that stuff. But I just noticed that she gets hit a lot in these fights uh, with the right hands and, and like, uh, when she fought the Italian on the Contender Series, the the tattoo model, uh, she didn't get a contract because she kept taking too many unnecessary shots. But she's a good point fighter. Then you trickle that into, you know, Janderoba, no shame in that. But then the Hannah Cyphers fight, once again, she got dropped. And there were some other fights where I just feel like Vienna, with her experiences, I think she's going to be better moving forward. Now that she got that win against Whitmire, I think you're going to start seeing the best of her. I think she's got a better game off her back, and I think she can force Mallory Martin to make a to make a big mistake, whether that be a bad shot or possibly even getting knocked out. We've seen Vienna knock out uh, Amanda Rebos before, and she's got some long rangey strikes. I think her stand up is being underrated in this fight, so I'm going with Pollyanna uh, just a little more, uh, you know, confidently. I think Mallory Martin will be back. She's a good fighter, but I just think she's more of like. Uh, like a comparison is just like one of those fighters that, you know, she's just going to try to, you know, eke out a decision, you know, <laughs> and you're paying minus 160 for that. I'm not saying that she's trying to eke out a decision, but that's where I see her ceiling. I don't see it, you know, I see it being just a, a average 500. I, I feel like Pollyanna Viana has a lot more talent and things that we haven't seen yet. So I'm going with her. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Diego Lima. He's 15 and 7. And Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad is 17 and 3. Currently, they got Bilal Muhammad minus 450. The comeback on Diego Lima is plus 350. So um, I love both these guys. Uh, you know, obviously, Bilal Muhammad, friend of the show, and Diego Lima represents Atlanta. So I like both guys a lot. Um, but, you know, it is kind of a risky fight for Bilal just in the sense that he's got a lot to lose and Diego has absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, Bilal's in the top 15 right now. He was supposed to fight Sean Brady. Now he's fighting a guy ranked way below him. So he almost has to play it safe in a sense. But with Diego, this is the biggest opportunity of his career. The, the issue with Diego, though, is that he kind of all these wins he's been having, aside from the Chad Lepre one, he kind of plays it safe. And playing it safe is not a way to beat Bilal Muhammad. You have to put Bilal Muhammad away. You got to put some damage on Bilal Muhammad. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Diego has some similar weapons as his brother. He's got a nice left hook. He's got the calf kicks. But uh, he's going to have to put uh, Bilal away to to beat him here. And I think that Bilal is going to put the pressure on him. He's going to outwork him. Just that work rate is too high. Mix in takedowns. And as long as Bilal doesn't get caught... I think Bilal's winning this fight. So 
I think he's the rightful favorite, and I got Bilal Muhammad via unanimous decision. Yeah, you know, that's that's the definitely the way I think most people are seeing it. Bilal should win this fight. He's the better fighter, hands down. Higher work rate, beating the better guys. Is he the top 20 at top or somewhere in there? got to be, right? He's top like 15. 15, 20. Okay, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so this is a risky fight, but this is the betting perspective side, and this is all about spots. I, I don't know when, why he took this fight in the first place. Um, I don't know if something wasn't available, but like he just beat Lyman Good. He beat uh, Tim Means before he beat um, Sato. What else did he beat? Um, but yeah, man, it's a risky fight. And from a betting perspective, minus 400 for a guy that does get dropped a lot. He got. Dropped against Lyman Good his last fight. Took a lot of damage in that fight. Uh, I didn't like some of the pocket exchanges So against Sato. So I do see some openings for Diego. The, Diego is basically – it's basically Douglas's body, just a different uh, different guy in there. You know, <laughs> it's Douglas's body. So you got to – so Diego's naturally scary in certain spots. I mean, he's physical. He's big. He's – He's got a lot of power naturally, so Bilal just needs to watch out. So, yeah, I agree, but from a betting perspective, I think it's a stretch. It's not a good spot. I mean, he, he should win this fight. Everyone's counting on him to win this fight. This, this I, I wouldn't be shocked if you see one of those, okay, I, I have to play this safe because I, I can't lose to Diego Lima type of situation. So, um, yeah, definitely got Bilal as a winner, but from uh, from the betting side, I think it's a pass. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Rodolfo, the black belt hunter Vieira. He's seven and zero. He's taking on Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who's seven and two. Currently, they got Rodolfo Vieira minus four hundred. The comeback on Anthony Hernandez is plus three twenty five. So, Anthony Hernandez came into the UFC with a lot of hype, man. I mean, he beat Brendan Allen on the regional scene in a five round fight. That's another black belt. Don't worry, I know there's black belts, and then there's black belts. We'll get to that in a sec. But uh, look, he beat Brendan Allen on. Uh, on the regional scene, he absolutely destroyed the Beverly Hills Ninja in a way on Contender Series. Got signed in the UFC and just kind of hasn't lived up to the expectations, man. I feel like even in his one win against Park, he was getting hurt badly to the body. Then he got finished to the body his very next fight. Also got finished by Marcus Maluco. Listen, I think there's a chance that Anthony Hernandez is making improvements. He's only 27 years old. Um, and I actually think he can probably rock a Rodolfo Vieira on the feet. It's just a case where one takedown and the fight will be over shortly after. So, I mean, I, I got to go with uh, Rodolfo Vieira here. It's like a case where if you create a fighter on the video game, you set Rodolfo Vieira's grappling stats to 100 out of 100. His striking might only be 30 out of 100, but that 100 out of 100 in the grappling makes such a difference that He's going to take this guy down one time. He's going to take his back, and he's going to finish the fight. So I'm going Rodolfo Vieira, first-round submission. Yeah, I think Fluffy Hernandez, man, I know he only lost to Kevin Holland. The Maluco fight, he was young, maybe like, what, five, six fights at the time. Um, the Brennan Allen fight can give a big misleading conception, though, in my opinion, because – if you watch that fight, uh, Brendan kind of quit. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> he flopped to his back for some subs, and Fluffy laid on top of him for five rounds. So um, the Beverly Hills Ninja, uh, 
I know he's only got one loss, but I mean, we know uh, only got one loss. Ninja might be moving forward. <laughs> on paper, on paper, he's got one loss. <laughs> um, I mean, we know it's two. <laughs> we know it's two vicious KO losses, but he's beaten. Um, I think this fight's right up Rodolfo's alley. This is the next perfect setup fight for Rodolfo to get a, another submission. Anthony Hernandez hasn't really shown me anything to to lead me to believe that he can win this fight. Like you said, in this one win against uh, Park, I, I kind of feel like Park pulled a stun in that fight. Park was was touching him, you know, hurting him badly. And and Fluffy got his choke, and that is one of his, uh, his moves. He's hit that move several times in the LFA, so props to him. Um, but I see Rodolfo being too strong and he plays things very safe on the feet. No, no crazy exchanges. He knows exactly what he needs to do. My only concern with Rodolfo is the amount of weight he's cutting, man. It's, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen him, uh, on weigh-in day, but man, it is, uh, it's not a pretty sight. I just hope he can recover <laughs> in time for the fight. Cause then the Brazilian weight cutting methods, man, is uh, it's a scary, scary thing. I mean, just look at the dude. He he looks like a like a black belt Paulo Costa, you know, just just shredded uh and juice to the gills. So yeah, I'm going with him for the win here. I think he's got kid Fluffy Hernandez down on the mat, just like Marcos Maluco did. If Marcos Maluco did that to you, I at no matter what point in your career. It's. I don't think you can be Rodolfo Vieira. Marcus Maluco isn't UFC level to me, so I'm going with Rodolfo. So who you got between Ian Heinish and Rodolfo Vieira? See now, see now, then now uh, that's when the 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 eyebrows start raising because Ian's actually a a real opponent. Um, uh, Fluffy just uh, I I don't know. I feel like he might not be cut out for this, but we'll see. Oh uh, no! I only brought it up because Ian got finished by Marcus Maluco as well. But uh, yeah, um, oh, you know what's gonna be? In- yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, he got finished. Uh, you're right. I mean, but Ian's Ian's <laughs> beaten, he redeemed himself against other against other third degree black belts. So uh, he he redeemed. Himself. It was outside the UFC. <laughs> but uh, but, but hey, Shaq, hey, know- what's the what's the Luis Luis Gomez once beat Sadiq Yusuf? I mean, shit happens. Facts, facts. Um, what's going to be interesting is when someone gets taken down by Rodolfo in the first round and they don't get submitted. Like someone that can weather that storm, get it into the second and third round and see if he's still got that explosiveness uh, on his shot. So I don't think Anthony Hernandez is the guy to do that, but I'm going to be on the lookout uh, for someone in the future that can um, because that's going to be the way to beat Rodolfo Vieira. Now, next up... Kicking off the main card, also in the middleweight division. This is going to be a serious fight, Shaq. We got Julian, the Cuban Missile Crisis Marcus Marquez. He's seven and two, and he's taking on Mackie Coconut Bombs Pitolo, who's thirteen and seven. I'm just gonna uh, be straight up with you, Shaq. These two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. Um, listen, Julian Marquez coming off the layoff, but he's a big boy for 185 pounds. He's a He's like a big grizzly bear, man. Now you see how these guys react when he hits them. You see uh, he's got an underrated ground game to go along with it. I feel like Mackie Patolo hasn't quite shown his best self, but I still think there's something in there that I think he's got. I think he can show uh, better uh, performances. Like, for example, 
Uh, since that last fight with Impa, now he's over there training with Brad Tavares and Puna. And I feel like having those, you know, those big middleweight Hawaiians with him, he's in the right environment. I feel like he's training with the right people. I think he's going to be making improvements. So I don't expect the same Mackie that we saw in the Impa fight. I feel like we're going to see a better version of him. It's just a question of how much is this layoff going to affect Marquez? Because he was already a gasser, even when he was not coming off a layoff. It's just that the guy is so physical. The guy is so big that he can just wear on guys. And I can see the size wearing on Mackie Patolo. I can even see the power putting Patolo out. The area of concern I have in laying chalk on Julian Marquez is if he does not get Patolo out in that first round, this fight starts to get extended. I think Mackie's got more volume. I think he's got better hands. And I think Mackie can knock people out. We've seen Julian get rocked before. So either guy can go down. My gut says Julian Marquez probably, uh, you know, gets this done somehow. But, like, it might actually turn out to be a dogger pass situation because there is a chance that Julian comes out here, doesn't look the same, might even look like shit. And there's also a chance Mackie's been making improvements, you know, considering the people he's been training with. So the lean is Marquez, but I think it might be dogger pass, actually. Yeah, I think Marquez, yeah, like you said, he's been out for a while. But uh, I kind of disagree on the cardio take because it, I thought I think uh, his last fight against Dicharico, man, he was putting on pressure on Dicharico in that third round. Dicharico was the one that was huffing and puffing and 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 looking over at his cornermen, looking for ways out of there. And that's just the honest uh, truth about it. So I think Marquez showed improvements in his last fight. And look at the circumstances in that last fight. He missed weight. He uh, <laughs> he missed weight by like four or five pounds. He fought Dicharico, who might not be the best, but just look at the type of test Dicharico can give dudes. Dicharico beat Muradov in the third round, had a good fight with Kevin Holland, just knocked out Buckley. Uh, so I think uh, Julian Marquez, in my opinion, is clearly the more higher ceiling fighter here. He beat Philip Hawes back in the day, finished him. Um, Maki Patolo, it's kind of been the same story in my opinion, man. I think that he's got fast hands. He's got quick hands. I think it's a mental thing. I think it's a – I don't want to say that – I think he gave me too much credit for being a Hawaiian banger because I see a guy at times when things hit the fan, he kind of checks out of there. Um, just go back to his fight against Cassius Clay in, in Victory FC back in the day in which he got knocked out when he was winning the entire fight go back to his fight with Dakota Cochran when he was winning the entire fight. And the second he got in one choke attempt, he went out. Um, then we fast forward that into the UFC and the, and just go look at the duty fought on contender series, man. I mean, just go look at his record and get back to me. Then we go into the Cal. I mean, Callan Potter. Yeah. He had some weight cutting issues, but like under any circumstances, if you're losing to Callan Potter and Callan Potter had to retire after his last fight, because I mean, no offense, he had that one win over Maki, but that's the only guy he could get it with. And the thing, uh, I remember Maki was such a huge favorite in that fight, and everyone was betting him. And and I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it because just look at the stuff we had seen on, on, on Maki in the local scene. I'm talking epic proportion type of stunts. So, yeah, I'm not high on Maki Patolo at all. I actually bet him against Darren Stewart, and Darren Stewart ain't known for his ground game. And, and uh, he... He choked Maxine, uh, some things with Marquez. That leads me to believe that it could happen again. Marquez has a very good uh, – he actually choked out Darren Stewart. But Marquez, uh, he's got good chokes, standing chokes. Uh, and he just fights a lot harder. Uh, look at 
Maki's last fight when he fought a big, you know, honestly stiff, slow, you know, very green Impa Kasakanai. He didn't want to, bro. He was shying away. He couldn't take it. Um, Darren Stewart, I felt like he was moving away as well. So I think as long as Julian avoids the sharp, you know, fast hands early, but I think as long as he just stays on Maki Patolo, the same things will reoccur. Maki Patolo will check out, make a big fatal mistake. And yeah, he's training with these guys, but at the end of the day, those guys can't fight for him. And and Julian also made a a, a switch up. He went back home to, to where he's from. He went back with James Krause. And James Krause is a, a very good coach, man. There's a very good camp down there. So you can't forget about that. I see Julian put it on Maki Patolo. I, I have questions if Maki can hang here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going with Julian. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Bobby King Green. He's 27 and 11. And Jim fucking Miller is 32 and 15. Currently, they got Bobby Green minus 250. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 200. So, Shaq, this is a fight that's been a long time in the making. Um, let me actually see uh, how long in the making it's been because I, I want to get this right. So, you remember, okay, this was supposed to happen in 2014. So Jim and Bobby were supposed to fight. This was around the time that, you know, Bobby had that big upset over uh, Josh Thompson, and then he got the big fight with Jim Miller. Bobby had to pull out. Jim Miller ends up fighting Yancey. He chokes out Yancey in the first round. So this is a fight a long time in the making. And I understand that a lot of people are very hesitant to parlay Bobby Green because they lost a lot of money his last fight against Tiago Moises. But guys, this isn't a 24-year-old kid like Tiago Moises who's making big improvements every single fight. Jim Miller, we know exactly what to expect. That first round, he's extremely dangerous. But after the first round, he, he simply doesn't have the cardio to push in that second and third. And it's not because he's not out here running his miles. It's because in 2016, you know, he dealt with that unfortunate Lyme disease and it's just really affected his cardio so he's got to go balls out for that first round finish and he's gotten a lot of first round finishes as a result the only issue is the last time Bobby Green was finished in the first round was in 2016 by Dustin Poirier and the last time Bobby Green was submitted was in 2009 Shaq so I really think the first round is going to be competitive but the second and third Bobby Green's just kind of kind of double him up on output stuff the takedowns and come out here win a clear decision. I think it's going to be clear enough to where even Chris Lee, even Jaron Vallel, I think even they can't fuck this up, man. So, I'm going Bobby Green via unanimous decision here. Yeah. I think the uh just real quick the take that he won the Moises fight is absolutely uh, insane. I thought Moises had the best performance of his career. I, I even said on the show that, the, you know, I think, you know, we both said it, that that line was a little bit out of whack. I know Moises had fought Michael Johnson prior to that, and he didn't look the best, but Moises is very young, very talented, and Bobby's on the, I don't want to say tail end, but, you know, he's getting up there in age. So um, that really didn't, I mean, it surprised me, but it made sense. Um, Jim Miller, yeah, I haven't really been high on Jim Miller. Legend of the sport, obviously, always loved Jim Miller. I mean, I remember when he tapped out Charles Oliveira with that leg lock back in the day. I know Charles got the uh, the revenge on him, but you know he still tapped uh, he still tapped out Charles. Beat the the Joe Lozon fight uh, at UFC 155 is an all time classic fight. Um, he's had so many good performances along the year. That's a bona fide UFC Hall of Famer right there, Jim Miller. Um, 
But as far as this fight goes with Bobby Green, it kind of reminds me a lot to the Clay Guida fight for Bobby, and even maybe to a lesser degree. You know, I actually bet Bobby in that fight at a at a similar line, I believe. And, you know, a lot of people said it was crazy. They said, well, you can't be betting Bobby at those lines. But trust me, against somebody old, yeah, you can. <laughs> when someone, you know, if it was a young up-and-comer up and dude, then I, I'd be have some hesitation. But against these old guys, I, no offense to Jim, I think Bobby can kind of clean up on the, the Guidas, the Jim Millers, the whoever the old 155ers are still remaining out there. Bobby, in my opinion, is in some of the better shape out of all those guys for – you know, those uh, for that father group in the in the 155 division. And like you said, Jim Miller is kind of a first round or bust type of fighter. He finished Alex White in the first round. Uh, he finished Clay Guida in the first round. He finished, um, what was his last one? Roosevelt Roberts in the first round. And honestly, in my opinion, I felt like Roosevelt Roberts quit in that fight. I, I didn't see enough fight of that out of that arm bar. And I know, how can you say Roosevelt quit when Jim... Jim's got all these submissions on his record, but I know when a man truly wants to fight and when he doesn't, and I, and I truly believe that Roosevelt quit in that fight. And look what happened in Roosevelt's uh, follow-up fight against Kevin Kroom, some guy I never had heard of at the time. And he, <laughs> and got, uh, and he went and got choked out, so no offense. But I, I think uh, I think Bobby's going to win this fight, like you said, with the volume in the late rounds. And I even think he can mix up mix – up, uh, up and get some takedowns of his own. We saw him out grapple Alan Patrick, who's a black belt. We saw him even in the Moises fight. I mean, he had some good scrambles there as well. It wasn't a bad performance by any means, in my opinion. So I'm definitely going with the King Green. And I hope my boy Bobby gets on that mic and, and does his usual, uh, you know, raving and ranting uh, after he gets this win. I, I, I can't wait. Featured bow, we got Kelvin Gastelum, he's 16 and 6, and Ian Heinish is 14 and 3. Currently, they got Kelvin Gastelum minus 225. The comeback on Ian Heinish is plus 185. So, man, th this is a tough one because on one hand, there's levels to this shit, and on the other hand, Ian Heinish is kind of on the up. And not to say that Kelvin's on the down because I wouldn't disrespect a 29-year-old. I mean, I think he still has room to improve, but he's been in this game so long, and my question is, is he still into this shit? Because I know how good Kelvin can be. I've cashed on Kelvin throughout the years many, many times. My favorite one is the plus 160 against uh, Tim Kennedy. I'll never forget that bet, man. And I got nothing but love for Kelvin. We saw him fight Israel Adesanya in Atlanta, Georgia. What a, what a fight that was. It's just if Kelvin isn't really into this anymore, that's when Ian can kind of sneak past him and win a close decision. It's just... Do you think that that's what's going to happen? Um, because if 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 Kelvin, you know, and I hate to talk in these terms of if he shows up, if he doesn't show up, because that discredits the other fighter. But I feel like Kelvin on his best day does beat Ian Heinish. Um, it's just, are we dealing with his best days anymore? Yeah, this is a this is a tough one, and and the vibe I get from this fight, kind of just like how you were talking, is. It's like we're we're trying to hold on to to the old Kelvin Gaslam, and and and, and this kind of reminds me of a typical situation where I've seen it happening a lot in the game lately, where these guys have these fight of the year type of performances, um, the losers of the of the fight of the year. So, for example, like Dan Hooker, for example, he had that fight of the year with with Poye and. Um, 
then he gets knocked out. Uh, you know, worst performance of his career. Um, I, sometimes after those fight of the years, man, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like you hit. It's like you can never get back to the to that guy he once was. And Kelvin, even when he was at the top, he would have the occasional WTF type of fight, um, like the Chris Weidman fight, like the Neil Magny fight, where he where he'd have an occasional big letdown. So Woodley fight. That's always kind of the Woodley fight. So that's always kind of been an issue for him, even when he was at the top of his game. So now if that issue is more of a of a permanent thing, then I mean, is he like should we even should we be expecting the best guy? I mean, it's a big drop off from the Adesanya fight. Like the the Darren Till fight, he wasn't it, it could be a, a simple mental thing, and if he just gets his mental back. But I know what was transpiring. I bet on Darren Till at big dog odds uh, against him in that comeback fight. And the reason was for, I said, people are praising him. And look, that was, fight was amazing. I was there. I'm not, they should praise him. They should praise him. But at the same time, you could also critique him for, hey, man, that fifth round, what happened? Things got completely out of hand. He just had a great fourth round. And I know it's a fist fight against Israel Adesanya. I mean, that could happen to anybody. It's just, you know, there there also could have been a, just a slot, small room for, you know, Kelvin got really hurt in that last round, man. I was there. I like the ground was shaking. I mean, I don't know how many times he got dropped. It was uh, it was absurd. I thought the fight could have got stopped. It's funny how Mark Goddard stops doesn't stop that fight, but he stops Covington. <laughs> you know, so it's uh. That was a little mind bug. I thought that fight could have got stopped in the fifth, but they let, they let it keep going because it was such a great fight. So I do have major concerns if we'll ever see the Kelvin Gassam. Of course we know the better fighter is. I don't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who, if Kelvin Gassam is better than Ian Heinish. We know that. But I thought he was be- I knew he, I thought he was better than Till, too. That doesn't mean he's going to the win the fight. I, thought, I think he's better than Jack Hermanson, too. Um, and Jack Hermanson's not a top five guy. So now he's starting to lose to, you know, bottom of the half, bottom of the top 10 type of guys. And so now is this, a has it gotten bad to the point where he's losing the fringe, fringe top 15 guys? Cause that's where I, I consider Ian Heinish. I think he's a, a fringe top 15 guy, 14, 15, 16, 17 in that range. Um, Man, it's a dog or pass situation, 100%. I ain't been Kelvin Gastelum at no minus two odds. I think he's the better fighter for sure, but is that guy showing up? I think sometimes as fans, we, we want to hold on to it, like Tony Ferguson, like James Vick. Like, oh, I mean, there's so many examples, like Hooker moving forward, like, um, man, there's a Tyrone Woodley like going into the Burns fight type of situations. Like, we like guys. It might be over, <laughs> you know. So, uh, oh man, I'm gonna go with Ian. I'm gonna go with Ian. I think he out hustles him. It ain't gonna be pretty. Ian's not. He, he's definitely not. Uh, I don't think he's even on Jack's level or any of these guys that he's been losing to. But Darren Till really didn't do anything special in that fight. It wasn't like Till was out here letting the hands fly or anything. It was like Kelvin just wasn't fighting, and then the Jack Hermanson fight. I know Jack hasn't really hit leg locks before, but you would think Kelvin Gaston, the, num- the former number one contender, the former, the guy that had this great fight with Israel Adesanya, 
I think he got really comfortable after that Adesanya fight, bro. I, I know Mama Gaslam on the countdown show was out there making them that pastor and the uh, I forget what it's called, but whatever. But you know, I, I think uh, I think he might have got comfortable, but I think he's a better fighter, one hundred percent. But betting perspective, Bogart passed. Can Ian out hustle him? Maybe even knock him out. Who knows, man? But I, I, I got. I'm gonna go with Ian. You know, my boy Kelvin's been getting down on some pastor, some chorizo. Uh, you know, those Mexican barbecues are no joke whatsoever. Um, he's been eating good, you know, Shaq. So, I mean, after you have a fight like that with Izzy, I, I don't blame you. You know, you put on fight of the year that year. So it, it was what it was, Shaq, right? So, yeah, for man, me, it's like, go I ahead. Go ahead. Man, there was a, there was a oh, my bad. No, sorry. I think we got a little delay, but oh, yeah. you go ahead. Sorry, I think we had a little delay, um, but you, you were about to say something? Oh, my bad. Yeah, I was saying uh, I had a couple more examples for that. These people that had great fights and then like fight of the years, fight of the nights. And then uh, there was one like Putalova. You remember Lucy Putalova? She was like this great prospect at one point, had this great fight with Irene Aldana, a fight of the night war, and then everything. I'm not com trying to compare her and Kelvin, but just an example. Like everything went completely off the rails. Now look at Dan Hooker. He's laying the – and look, we even said on the show, Hooker's energy ain't sounding too good. I think Poye might have done some real damage towards the end there. And look what happened. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, people are saying, well, if he ate Poirier shots for five rounds, you mean to tell me he can't eat Chandler shots? And it's like, that's not how this shit works. Like, all those wars take <laughs> points off your damage meter, you know? Like, remember Jason Knight, uh, Shaq, speaking of Hooker? Remember uh, what Jason Knight was up to? And then and then, and then, then one fateful evening, he fought Ricardo Lamas and was never the same ever again. That's another example. Remember the type of prospect Jason Knight was? I mean, what what happened to what happened to that guy? Took that one. He finally, once the nails in the coffin, the nails in the coffin. But Gaslam, he didn't really take that much damage prior to the Izzy fight. I think this is more of he is kind of lazy. I mean, he's always had weight, and he needs to he needs to pick it up a little bit more. I want in his interviews this week. I'm not a body language expert or a a, a mind reader, but it just seems very. It seems very careless, carefree, not to the arrogant extent like Dan Hooker, but just very like, uh, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, I've gotten that vibe as well. Now, again, we're not body language experts. We didn't get in the position we're in because we, you know, read minds or any bullshit like that and could be way off. Maybe Kelvin comes out here, and knocks him out in the first round. But I have also gotten that vibe, man, that just you just doesn't really give a shit anymore and there's nothing wrong with that you've had a long career you've made a ton of money you fought for the belt you had a fight of the year i understand he's only 29 so he's a he's still young but it's like what else is there to do besides touch gold which i think after that night in australia or new zealand when rob pulled out the day of the fight shit hasn't been the same since Shaq, and that's just a, that's just the bottom line you know he might have actually been champ that one night but, man, it's unfortunate how the fight game works. Look, I got to go with Kelvin as a pick, but I agree with Shaq. This is a dog or pass situation. And 
with Ian Heinish, you know, he's got the very uh, unorthodox footwork. He's kind of herky-jerky in there, but he's very unique to himself. And you start to slow down on a guy like Ian Heinish, and he will tee off on you. But, look, I think Kelvin's got the better hands. I think he's better across the board. It's just, is he still fighting with the same spirit and intensity that I know he once had? So that's the big question. I'll pick Kelvin as a pure pick, but at the window, it is a dogger pass situation. Co-main event of the evening, we got Macy Barber. She's 8-1, and one, and she's taking on Alexa Grasso, who's 12-3. and three. Currently, they got Alexa Grasso minus 120. The comeback on Macy Barber is plus 100. So it's been a while since we've seen Macy Barber fight. Um, I know she cost a lot of people a lot of money um, when she fought Roxanne Modafferi, but, you know, she was minus 1,000 in that spot. Kind of reminds me how uh, Devontae Smith cost a lot of people at minus 1,000 against Kama Worthy and... You know, people hold it against them, but it's been over a year. I feel like she's probably made improvements. She's only 22. She's just a kid. And I also understand that not only did she lose a lot of people a lot of money, she also rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, you know, after that fight, you know, trying to get on the mic. She was being very cringy. But look, man, we all make mistakes. And once again, she's just a kid. It's been a year since then. So I, I think that we can expect improvements. And one thing I really like about Macy Barber is that, you don't often see women coming out here and finishing fights via knockout. And not only that, besides Amanda Nunes, I can't name a single lady on the roster that's had a three-fight knockout streak in the UFC. Um, I really can't. Uh, maybe you can. Um, I, I don't know if Jessica Andrade has had a three-fight knockout streak before, but I know Macy Barber started her career off with a three-fight knockout streak. And sometimes the power overrides technique in the women's weight classes uh you know for example you saw that fight between um jessica andrage and caitlin chukagan you could definitely argue caitlin chukagan's the more technical striker she throws her punches down the middle whereas andrage is kind of loopy and i think it's you know maybe a lower ranked version of that here i think that yeah alexa grasso does throw down the pipe macy does kind of loop macy does get kind of hit from time to time but there's a huge difference in the power here and we'll talk about the ground game in a second but I think that even if Alexa Grasso is piecing her up at times, that Macy Barber is going to land the more impactful shots. And Alexa is there to be hit as recently as her last fight versus Gian Kim. And some of those shots from Barber land on Alexa, I'm not sure how she's going to take it. And then you take it a step further. If Alexa, if Macy gets on top of Alexa, Macy's got some vicious ground and pound. So I actually kind of thought, Macy Barber should have been the slight favorite. Vegas agreed. They opened her minus 130. So I applaud anyone that, you know, got in on that, you know, that nice underdog odds on Macy Barber, whether it was plus 130, plus 120, plus 115. Now I think the line's kind of moving where it should. Um, I respect Grasso. You know, I love my Mexican warriors, but I got to go with Macy Barber here. I think she's bigger. I think she hits harder. And I think power goes a long way in this division, man. So I'm going Macy Barber for the upset here. Yeah, mm, this is a good fight because Barber is a young fighter, only still 22, so we know she's got tons of room to grow. I think this is a case of just an inflated sense of where she was really at. Um, she, eh, her career was like Jamie Colleen, <laughs> Hannah Cyphers, JJ Aldridge, and Jillian. So, yeah, she did have a she did have a KO streak, but I mean, in hindsight. The I think the Roxanne thing was just people were you know people have this thing with Roxanne and I and I agree with that still I think that if you can't be Roxanne I think you're more on the shaky side um, 
and that, and that's just what I believe. I mean, you think when you look at the people that beat her, the the real ranked fighters in that division, it's usually an easy fight for them. Um, so we know Macy Barber is not on that level yet. Now she's fighting Grasso, both former straw weights. Mm, this is an interesting fight because I think her her finishing ability, yeah, she definitely got three KOs, but Hannah Cyphers ain't nothing to write home about. Hannah Cyphers is getting finished by you know. What's the what's the foreign girl's name that lost to uh, Shayna Agapova? Uh, yeah, her she got finished by Mallory Martin. Um, Hannah Cyphers' ground game is absolutely non-existent. So how much in 2021? How much stock should I put into that? Then we go into the JJ Aldridge fight, and she definitely knocked JJ Aldridge out. And I think Macy had a vibe. I mean, the the hype machine was behind her. So I think a lot of times these girls were coming into the fight kind of slightly half broken already the jj aldrich fight yeah she got the knockout but the first round wasn't too pretty uh she you know got kicks caught several times she leads in with the kicks with her chin up in the air i i mean there's definitely room for improvement but i think just the the way though the the talks and what she was talking about the the champion but that's not even relevant but just how good was she even really uh, then the Jillian Robertson fight, Jillian just, you know, shut down, can't get a takedown. Props to Macy for jumping up on her. But I think Alexa Grasso just has been in a position at 115 where she's been fighting way better competition, in my opinion, also from a very young age. I mean, she was in the, the thick of the top 10, the top 15 in, in, at 115 pounds while Macy Barber was fighting, you know, chicks with, I mean, I, I don't think very too highly of it. Uh, Grasso at least had a, a very uh, close fight with Carla Esparza, who's top five at 115 pounds. Um, we know the issue there, the wrestling, but Esparza is, uh, got the most takedowns in that division. And how good is Macy of a wrestler, really? Uh, I haven't really seen her hit takedowns uh, against anyone to write home about. Uh, so, yeah, I'm interested. I think she's bigger, stronger, um, thicker. So I can see maybe she's just more physical. Maybe she can hold Alexa against the fence and out physical her. But I see Alexa having the advantage on the feet. And I wouldn't be shocked if we started seeing more of a, a better version. We've, we've seen her so many times have these weight issues at 115 pounds. She got pulled off of a card against Claudia Gadelia because she was physically unable to fight. She got pulled off a card against... Uh, she missed weight against Randa Marcos. There's been several weight things. So I don't know if I have enough reason to, to go. I know Macy's a popular pick this week, and we'll see. But I think Grasso's also young in improvement. Also, what I like, the advantages over Barber have already been in there with real legit competition. And even prior to the injury, I mean, she was getting boxed up by Roxanne Mataferi. Um, it was only one round of tape, but... I mean, it wasn't looking too good with the with the healthy knee. So I don't really know how good Macy Barber was. I'm sure she's improved, but I think Alexa Grasso has paid her dues. She's fought top competition at 115, and, and she looked good her last fight too. I know Gian Kim leaves that chin up in the air, but I thought the punch count was good. Uh, and Gian Kim, I feel like her boxing offense might be even a little better than Macy's. So we'll see. Um, I'm going to go with Alexa Grasso, though, for the win. I mean, listen, I get that she lost to Roxanne, but I also think that, you know, she was 22. She was completely arrogant. And I think I, I truly believe 
that if they fought again, it'd be a different result. It to me, it's you know, you know, when you're that young, his first L time. I I don't think it was you know a case of oh Macy isn't that good. I think look, Ma- Roxanne Modafferi has upset a lot of people. She upset Antonina. She upset KGB Lee. She upset Macy Barber. I get it. A lot of people also destroyed uh, Roxanne Modafferi. I truly believe if Macy fought her again that she'd win that fight. I think she got ahead of herself. Again, she was 22. Now she's 23. I think we see a better version of her. But uh, let's see. I mean, you're right. Alexa has paid her dues. No no, no questions asked. So let's see, uh, let's see who wins Saturday night. Main event of the evening for the welterweight belt. We got Kamaru, the Nigerian Nightmare Usmani, 17 and 1, and Gilbert Durinho Burns is 19 and 3. Currently, they got Kamaru Usman minus 250. The comeback on Gilbert Durinho is plus 200. So, shout out to Gilbert Durinho cuz man, he's made a serious career turnaround. I remember we had a lot of criticism for him back in the lightweight days about his striking defense, maybe sometimes the cardio, but I feel like he's a new man at 170 pounds, and these performances have been very, very serious. It's just that when you talk about Kamaru Usman, like we were alluding to earlier on the show, I mean, if he wins this fight, Shaq, he breaks GSP's record for most consecutive wins in welterweight history. Uh, he's right up there with some of the greatest uh, welterweights of all time. But the thing that really stands out about Usman in this spot is just the work rate. I mean, 130 strikes landed against RDA. 140 strikes landed against T-Wood. 175 strikes landed against Colby. 94 strikes landed against Masvidal. Then you look at Gilbert Durino's entire career. The most strikes he's ever landed in a fight was actually his most recent fight against Tyron Woodley, and it was only 83 strikes, which is nowhere near what the kind of numbers Kamaru's putting up. And I'm not convinced Gilbert can go five rounds. And before someone's like, what do you mean? We just saw him go five rounds against Woodley. Guys, I'm not talking about, you know, old-ass Tyron Woodley who backs himself into the fence and throws one strike per round. Like, this is a completely different ball game here. And at Kamaru's pace... I'm not convinced Burns can go all five with him. So I think that for Gilbert Durino to win this fight, he's going to have to have these fight-changing moments, whether dropping him with a big shot, whether it's wobbling him, whether it's taking him down and taking his back. He has been submitted before. Granted, it was eight years ago. So much shit has changed in eight years. So much shit has changed in eight months, eight days, eight hours, let alone eight years. So I don't care that he got submitted that long ago, but... Those are the kind of moments Gilbert Durino is going to have to have to win this fight. Now, that's the stylistic uh, part of it. You know, Camaro just outworks him. But the the other side of things, I didn't really like too much of what I was hearing from Camaro actually on fight week that it seems like he might kind of feel like he's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. And, you know, he said he mentioned something that about I haven't quite lost my competitive edge, but. I, I just don't like hearing th- those kind of things. Um, it probably doesn't make a difference. But at the same time, if this is if this is Gilbert Durino's time, then it's his time. And we should respect him if he comes out here and beats uh, Kamaru Usman and becomes the champ. And one thing I want to say, we don't even need to bring up this former teammate shit because actually they've kept it under wraps really well. But, you know, there was a big falling out between Kamaru and Sanford MMA, which is only starting to surface now. So that whole team, they're not like sitting it out and they're not split. They're all rooting for Dorino Burns, by the way. So I think Burns does have to finish this fight uh, to win. 
the only chance he can win a decision in my in my eyes is again if he has these big moments where you know he might be getting outpointed but then he drops Kamaru steals the round that way a takedown or two something like that but other than that i see the striking differential being huge here and i just see Usman wearing on him down the stretch and winning a decision Yeah, Kamaru, got tons of respect for him. Not too much bad to say about him. Besides, I do think that if we get more rounds of him out in space, standing against more fluid punchers, more better strikers, I do think you could see some sometimes where he gets wobbled more and drop more. But the dude's a, a rock. He, he moves forward. He's not going to break. He's going to break you, put you against that fence. The, I mean – you know what Kamaro's game plan is. It's a very meat and potato style way of fighting, but it gets the job done. It's gotten him a very dominant UFC career. Burns is still a bit of a mystery to me, and I respect Burns so much because he's like one of these guys like Dustin Poirier, like Robert Whitaker, or he has the potential to be, you know, one of these guys to move up a weight class. And this run kind of didn't surprise me. I kind of saw this run coming now that I think he was going to, Make it all the way to the belt, I'm not sure. But I think uh, his last fight at 155 against Mike Davis, I don't know if you recall the way he looked at weigh-ins, man. I mean, that he was the last person to weigh in. And I just remember the way he looked. It was almost similar to when Kiesa, another example, when Kiesa, his last weigh-in at 155 against Pettis, he was like, bro, I'm done with this shit. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't cut to 55 no more. That's it. And look at his history. He got pulled off a, a fight against Mercier. I know they ran it back, but he got pulled off a fight. And I remember when they released his weight out to the media, they're talking about Gilbert showing up 40 pounds overweight uh, on fight week, ready to ready to cut a 40 piece. So this dude was fighting at 155, very, very diminished. And I don't think we got to see the best, which, you know, that would explain some of those stunts against Tractor Prisers, against Dan Hooker. Guys that he's better than, kind of similar to when Dustin was at 45s or Rob Whitaker losing to Court McGee and, you know, things that uh, shouldn't happen, you know. So I think Macy uh, losing to Roxanne. Very dangerous. Um, she made weight, right? Yeah, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she made weight and it was up a weight class. So, I mean, <laughs> but I think, uh, Gilbert Burns was fighting very diminished. And at 170, he's been blowing through the competition. He took out a 20-0 Russian, Alexei Kunchenko. He beat Gunnar Nelson on European turf. In the Damian Maya fight, I know he did get the leftovers from, from Usman and Colby and, and all these other guys. But, hey, he knocked him out in the first round, did what he was supposed to do. And he was still the underdog against Tyron Woodley. So, I mean, Gilbert Burns is very dangerous. I'm sure Gilbert's seen Kamaru Usman in some of those vulnerable states in the gym. I know Gilbert has seen Kamaru get his ass beat before. <laughs> you know, he's he's seen it. Not too many people else have seen it, but I'm sure he's seen it. I'm sure there's been off days from Kamaru and Gilbert got the better of him. So uh, I do actually think this, this fight could be a little closer just due to the fact that Gilbert Burns is still improving. Like, he's still building off the Woodley fight. He, who knows what he's going to do now? Not We can sit here and say, yeah, Woodley was done, this and that. We should have known. But he was still, like, plus 160, plus 170. Everyone still thought Woodley would still be enough to beat him. Um, 
I, of course, I think Kamaru is probably more than likely out going to outwork him. I don't think anybody at 170 can outwork Kamaru. Um, I mean, we saw the the next best worker in the division, Covington, go go against him, and he couldn't do it. So I highly doubt <coughs> Gilbert Burns will be. But I do see some openings in the stand-up that Burns could park it, possibly spark Kamaru if he comes locked in, and he seems very locked in. And I like these mind games that he's playing with them, man. I like he come on, look. I feel like all the pressure's on Kamaru. He's the one that left the gym. He's the one that had the falling out. He's the one that has, you know, more secrets to keep behind the scenes. Burns is, you know, keeping it cordial just out of respect. I mean, it was once his friend, once a teammate. But, um, man, who knows? He's at, he's, at, he's at Trevor Whitman's gym now. Trevor Whitman's a very good coach, just, just as good a coach as Henry Hoof. But Henry Hoof's not cornering these guys, I believe, right? He, Correct. Yeah, so, yeah, of course, pick, I'm going to go Kamaru, but I honestly think it's a dog or pass situation. I don't like this spot for Kamaru. He's fighting. The 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 vibe to this fight, to me, feels a little weird. I, I'm i sure this is a guy where Kamaru, like, it's almost one of those situations like Blakovich, like Dustin, where think about all the stuff that Gilbert Burns has been through in this MMA career that he's had, man. The Rashid Magomedov fight, the tractor fight, the all these these big fatal, you know, losses that he had, and the dude kept working, and he earned his way to the title shot. It might be one of those spots where Burns just simply will not be denied on Saturday night. He's it could be one of those spots like Bisping um, winning the title. So who knows? If you would have told me Gilbert Burns would have been fighting for a title a couple of years ago at 170, I mean, we would have told you you were freaking nuts. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to go with Kamaru, but I think it's a dog or pass situation. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And before we do that, just got to let the fans know, um, do us a favor, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Helps out the channel tremendously. Thank you very much. So, Shaq, what is your fight to watch for UFC 258? My fight to watch is actually going to be on the undercard, I think it's uh, very early, and that's Phil Rowe versus Gabe Green. I think Gabe Green has a very exciting style. I don't necessarily think he's the, the best fighter, but I think he has a very fan-friendly, entertaining, come-forward-and-take type of fighting style. And Philip Rowe, you look at his last fight, I mean, I think this could be a, a mixture for a possible fight-of-the-night type of, uh, you know, fight on the early portion of the card, man, so... Uh, that's my fight to watch Philip Rowe. I'm looking to see what he looks like because it's been a while since he's fought. We haven't seen him in quite some time, but I want to see how this 6'4", 80-inch reach translates in this welterweight division. And Gabe Green, we know he, we know what he's about. He's going to come forward and fight. So that's, uh, that's the fight I'm looking forward to. Very true. Uh, definitely looking forward to that one as well. Uh, for me, my fight to watch is the pay-per-view opener between Coconut Bombs, Mackie Patolo, and the Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez. Like I said on my breakdown, these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. Uh, it's going to be a very exciting fight. I mean, someone's going to get knocked out. Someone's going to get tapped out. If it goes all three, it might be fight of the night. I cannot wait. So for that reason, Marquez versus Patolo is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 258? My fighter to watch is going to be a legend of the sport, man. And that's 
Not Jim Miller, but my boy Bobby Green. If Bobby Green wins his fight, he'll have won four out of his last five. And what I'm looking forward to the most is just this post-fight speech, man. I love when Bobby gets this mic in his hand after these wins, and he and he brings the world together. My boy's out here, you know, spreading uh, equality around, and he wants to, to send that good message out. He wants to, to love and not hate. And what better way than Saturday night after a win over the guy with the most fights in the UFC? So Bobby Green is my fighter to watch. I wouldn't be necessarily down on him just because he lost to Tiago Moises. I know he, he let a lot of people down, but don't worry. In a, in, a, in a little bit, you're about to really find out why it's no shame at all. But uh, I'm going with uh, Bobby Green as my fighter to watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't recall the last time I missed a Bobby Green or Jim Miller fight. For me, my fighter to watch is Macy Barber. I mean, listen, she pulled an epic stunt her last fight, not just in the fight, but after the fight. was very cringy pissed a lot of people off, cost a lot of people a lot of money. But again, she was 22 then. It's been a year, and she's very, very confident. I want to see if she comes back better. I mean, and she doesn't have an easy opponent here. Alexa's paid her dues. Alexa's been around a very, very long time. Alexa is tough as nails, so it's not like they're giving her some you know, tune-up fight. They're throwing her right back in there with serious competition. I mean, if you want to be the youngest champion in UFC history, well, you better beat someone like this. So I want to see if the power translates. I want to see if she's made improvements. For that reason, Macy Barber is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down Saturday night tomorrow at the UFC Apex. Uh, I cannot wait. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube stitcher spotify all the places where we are available we'll be back next week for the next card and then the next one and the next one and make sure you all check out our sponsor manscaped at manscaped.com use that promo code battle 20 for free shipping and 20 percent off um truly appreciate everybody give us a like give us a uh give us a subscribe again we'll be back next week Follow us everywhere we're available, and uh, we will speak very soon. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.